the providence of God is an astounding truth. And what I mean by that is God in his goodness does things for us that we never ever would have thought of on our own. It's absolutely amazing when we look at scripture and see what God does. And when we look at our own lives and look back at our lives, we marvel at how good God has been to us. The the passage that we are going to be looking at today, we see the providence of God highlighted, so to speak. Paul and his missionary companions wanted to go into a particular area. And God, the Holy Spirit, said, no, you can't go there, you can't go there. But God gave Paul a vision. It's called the Macedonia vision, where Paul encountered a man in the vision. And the man said, come over to us and help us. And that's exactly the vision that God used in Paul's life to cause Paul and the missionaries to go into Macedonia, and particularly to go into a city called Philippi, a leading city. Luke records that missionary journey of Paul. He's on his second missionary journey. He's and his missionary companions are going into Philippi. And lo and behold, God allows Paul and the missionaries to encounter some individuals that we probably would not have designed it for Paul. Paul, first of all, meets a businesswoman, and then he meets a slave woman, and then he has an encounter with a jailer, one in charge of the jail at Philippi. Only God can do things like that. And I think when you look at your life, when, you look, when I think about my own life and I look back, things that I would have never, ever arranged, you would have never, ever arranged, but God in his wisdom, in his kindness, in his goodness, has allowed our paths to cross with certain individuals, has allowed us to go through different things. And it's a reflection of his providence, his goodness, his overlooking in our lives. And so today we want to peek in again at Acts 16, verses 14 through 18. Uh, We're not going to look at all of the three individuals that I just previously mentioned, But we're going to look at the two ladies. And last Sunday on Mother's Day, we looked at a lady by the name of Lydia. Uh, She's the purple seller. And when you think about the title of this message, I've called it the purple seller and the fortune teller. And last Lord's Day, we looked at Lydia. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke went to a place of prayer. And that was their strategy. They wanted to find people they could share the gospel with. And they go to this place of prayer by the riverside. And there they speak the word of God, Paul in particular. And there's a lady. She's a businesswoman. She's from Thyatira. She's well off. She's an individual who's open to the things of God. But she's not a Christian. And as she's listening to Paul, God opens her heart so that she's able to respond to the message that Paul is proclaiming. 
And we learn from that that no one comes to God on their own. No one enters into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ on their own. Yes, there must be the proclamation of the word of God, the gospel. And yes, there must be the listening to the gospel. But also there must be God opening a person's heart so that they're able to believe and respond to the things of God. And so Lydia gets saved. And not only does she get saved, but those in her household get saved. They hear the gospel, they respond. And Lydia, in response to her salvation, understands that you don't just get saved and go do whatever you want to do. When you get saved, you're supposed to pledge your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're supposed to pick up your cross. You're supposed to deny yourself and follow Christ. And that's what Lydia and her household did. They, they got saved. And they pledged their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. How? By getting baptized in water. That's what a genuine believer does. After he or she gets saved, they pledge their allegiance. They say publicly to whoever's present, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that pledge of allegiance not only shows itself in the local church, but out in the world. And after... Lydia and her household got baptized. The next thing that we see in Lydia's life is that she was an individual who wanted to show love to the people of God. She got saved. She got baptized. And the next expression of her faith that we read about is that she wanted to be hospitable. Uh, We don't put that high on the list, but it's the part of showing love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Lydia begged the Apostle Paul and the missionary. She pleaded with them and, and said, if I've been found faithful to the Lord, then stay in my house. And I love that statement. When she says, if I've been found faithful to the Lord, if you can look at my life, Paul, and missionaries, if you can look at my life and see that I'm committed and devoted to the Lord, if I have demonstrated in my short time of salvation that I'm committed to Christ, I'm devoted to Christ, that I love Christ, then give me the wonderful opportunity to express love to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And in her case, that meant opening up her home and being hospitable and allowing the missionaries to stay with her. Well, they found her faithful. They allowed her home to be the basis of their operation as they ministered in Philippi. That's the purple seller. Today, I want us to see the fortune teller in verses 16 through 18. The picture changes. Uh, The missionaries are pretty much operating in the same way. 
When they met Lydia, they met her at a place of prayer by the riverside. And after all of these different events that happened between the missionaries and Lydia and her family, time has passed. And, and, and Luke tells us in verse 16, and it happened. That is a little bit later after, not the same day, but sometime after it happened. God in his providence leads the missionaries once again to the place of prayer. They're looking to proclaim the gospel. They're looking to tell men and women, boys and girls, about who Jesus Christ is. And it happened that God allows him to meet and encounter a slave girl. As they're headed toward this place of prayer, that they encounter, they come face to face with a certain slave girl. That's how Luke designates her, a slave girl. She's not a little girl. You know, she's not some prostitute. Uh, she's not even technically a female servant. She is a female slave. Later on, we'll learn about her owners. But Luke says a certain slave girl. He, he, he says God opened the doors for us to have this relationship with this certain slave girl. Very unlikely person. She's not like Lydia. She's not a businesswoman. She's a slave girl. She's not like Lydia who has a name. She's just simply the unnamed slave girl. She, she, she's not free to do whatever she wants. She's not successful, so to speak. She is a slave and being used by others. So she's quite different than, than Lydia. But yet in the plan of God, God can allow the paths of Paul and others to cross individuals like Lydia, but also like this slave girl. Maybe not someone that Paul and the missionaries would have picked out, but God picked her out and wanted her to have an encounter with none other than the apostle Paul and these missionaries. And so Luke describes this slave girl for us in verse 16. And he basically tells us two things about her. First of all, she has a spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. Uh, that would have been wonderful. No, she has a spirit of divination. Literally, she has a spirit of python or a pythonic spirit. In Greek mythology, there was python, pictured by a, a, a dragon or a large snake. And, and if you study Greek mythology, which I don't, not interested in it at all, but, but this python was basically killed by an individual named Apollo at, at Delphi. And so we could go into all of that detail, but it's not necessary because our Bible translators, they, they, they don't want us to worry about Python. They let us know the significance of it. And they just simply say that this woman, when they describe her, she had a spirit of divination. 
Another way she's described, she had a spirit that enabled her to foretell the future by supernatural means. She had a spirit by which she could predict the future. So she was possessed by a demon, and she had psychic abilities. And some of you know that there are people still like that today. They won't tell you they're possessed by a demon, and I'm not necessarily saying that they are, but they say they have the ability to predict the future. They can read your future. They can look at your palm of your hand. If you will come, make sure you bring some money. Uh, But if you will come, we'll tell you about your future. And, And if you can't sleep at night and you're channel surfing, you'll come across some of them. I remember back in the day, Billy D. Williams uh, used to be every lady's fantasy. But now most people don't know who he is. But Billy D. Williams used to have a commercial. Come get your future told. This psychic can tell you all about what's going to happen in the future. Well, here was a slave girl. She had a spirit of divination. She had the ability to talk about what was going to happen in the future. But Luke said something else about her. He describes her as one who brought her master's money. But let me just pause for a second. Because I think sometimes when we hear that word spirit, a spirit of divination, that we might think that her life was chaotic and out of control, but not so with this slave girl. She was a very respectable person. Uh, She was, quote, a businesswoman in her own right. You know, sometimes when the Bible talks about demons in an individual, uh, it's very graphic uh, what that demon does to an individual. When we went through the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 5, we met this individual whose life had been destroyed, so to speak, by a demon, unclean demon in him. And it resulted in this man living among the tombs. That is, he wasn't living on the streets of L.A. or Inglewood. He, he lived at Inglewood Cemetery. Lived among the tombs. And, and during the night, And day, he would cry out and holler and shout. And and they couldn't control him. They even tried to put chains on him. And he would break the chains. And, And he would holler out and he would actually be cutting himself. He was in so much agony, so much pain, he thought maybe cutting himself would relieve him of some of the agony and pain that he's going through and turn the attention to what he had done to himself. That wasn't this slave girl. If you had looked at her, you didn't see someone who looked crazy. You didn't see someone who was possessed by spirit. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus encountered a man, a father, whose son was demon-possessed. And that demon did all kind of things to the son. It would take hold of him, cause him to have seizures, cause him to foam at the mouth. It caused him to be mute, 
It caused him to be thrown to the ground and stiffened like a board. So, so demons had the ability to radically change a person's life. It could cause a person's life to be dehumanized. You wouldn't even recognize the person. But not so with this lady, with this slave girl. Her life, so to speak, was orderly. Her life was normal. To such an extent that people would come to her and want her to predict the future. And so when Luke gives his second description, he says that she was bringing her masters much profit. So she was a slave girl, not a servant girl, but a slave girl who had masters. How many we don't know. But the masters took advantage of her. Instead of seeing her as a person, they saw her as property. They saw her as a way to line their pockets with money. They they saw her as a key to making much profit. So, So they were in business. They were like Lydia, except they weren't selling purple cloth. Instead, what they were selling is predictions about the future. You want to know what's going to happen next week? You want to know what's going to happen next month? Go check out the psychic. Go check out this lady. She's a fortune teller. And it was profitable. It was profitable in Paul's day. It's still profitable today. You want to make a lot of money? This is one of the means that you can do it by. It's said that in 2018, that in Korea, South Korea, that fortune-telling business would be in the neighborhood of $3.7 billion. Can you imagine that? And I know we say, oh, I would never go. But you might open up your newspaper and read your horoscope. You, you might ask somebody else, what do you think about the future, etc." But here was a slave girl being taken advantage of by these masters. We don't know if they were male or female, but they were lining their pockets so that she could bring them money. When we come to verse 17, in the first part of verse 18, we see her declaration. That's revealed to us. Luke switches gears. He doesn't want us to focus in any longer on her description, but now he wants us to focus in on her declaration. And and the context of her declaration is seen at the beginning. Paul says, following, Luke writes, following after Paul and us. So so Luke is going to paint the picture. Yes, they met this slave girl, and now this slave girl is following after Paul and the missionaries. And, And the picture is wherever Paul goes, she goes. So she's, they, they've met, 
And now she's become a follower. There's Paul. There's the missionary. And there she is behind them. And wherever Paul goes, she goes. And then Luke tells us about the manner of her declaration. Luke says she cried out. That is, she lifted up her voice and shouted loud so that people could hear her. Her voice became a megaphone. And what was she saying? She was saying, these men, that is, talking about Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And they are announcing the way of salvation. Now, now on the surface, that sounds so good. I mean, here is Paul and Silas and Timothy. And, and this slave girl is saying, shouting out to everybody, putting up a billboard wherever they go. These men are the bond servants, the slaves of the Most High God. And if you would ask Paul to describe himself, that's how Paul would describe himself. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he said, I'm a bond servant of God. This woman said, these men are the bond servants, the slaves of God. And they add a description to God. He's not just God, but he is the most high God. And you can read about God being the most high God in the Old Testament particularly. He's not some ordinary God. He is a God like none other. And Jews would refer to God as the most high God. And this woman was also saying, these men here who are slaves of God, they're announcing to you the way of salvation. And when you hear her declaration, when you look at it at face value, it sounds very impressive. I mean, what better thing could be said about Paul than the missionary? Their identity, they're the slaves of God. Their mission, they were proclaiming the way of salvation. But we need to really look at her declaration a little bit closer. Because it's not necessarily what we think it is. When she says the most high God to the Philippians, to those who were Gentiles, to those who were Greek, the most high God could refer to Zeus. Didn't have to refer to the true and living God. It's just their way of saying there is some higher being who's greater than all. So she might not be talking about the true and living God. But the other thing that causes us to caution what she says is she says she's talking about salvation, way of salvation. Translation said the way, but literally what she says, a way. So in her mind, there are multiple ways of salvation. And I hope that each and every one, under the sound of my voice, understand there's only one way of salvation. Jesus Christ made that clear in John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now you can try other ways. But there is no other way. And your religious friends might be trying other ways. And this woman, 
slave girl. She doesn't say they're proclaiming the way, but a way. And the thing that troubles me about her declaration is she really believed it, if she really was convinced of it. Why didn't she turn to Jesus? You don't see her turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't see her coming after Paul saying, I want to be saved. What must I do to be saved? She's saying good words, words that you and I can interpret as Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are slaves of almighty God. Words that we can interpret as they are proclaiming the way of salvation. But I'm not convinced that she fully understood that. And the thing about her, she didn't just say this one time, but this went on for days. If you look at the beginning of verse 18, it says, and she continued doing this for many days. Following Paul and the missionary, proclaiming they're the slaves of God. They're communicating the way of salvation. Not just one day, but many, many days. And that's her declaration. And on the surface, we might be impressed with it. But I think when you look a little bit closer, we have to question it. Even though she's saying the right thing, so to speak. And I do want to remind you that demons can say the right things. When you look at Jesus' encounter with demons in the Gospel of Mark, one demon said in Mark chapter 1, Thou art the Christ, the Holy One of God. And you go through the Gospel of Mark, and demons know who he is, and they proclaim him as Christ, and Jesus said, Shut up! I don't want your testimony. I don't want you declaring who I am. And when we come to the last point in our message, the the deliverance of this slave girl, that's kind of where Paul ends up. Paul becomes agitated. Paul becomes annoyed. Paul basically says he's had enough. Remember, this is not just one moment. This is several days. In several days, she's proclaiming their identity and proclaiming their mission. And and if this was a wonderful thing, we would not see Paul reacting the way that he did. And so when we come to the end of verse 18, Paul was greatly annoyed. So, Uh, Don't accuse him of not having patience. His patience had run out. He became burdened. He he became distressed. And and maybe at the beginning, when she began her proclamation, he didn't know which side she was on. But after time, 
It became clear she's saying these things, but she's not practicing these things. There's no turning to God for salvation. And so Paul became annoyed, and Paul turned around. Because remember, Paul and the missionaries in front of her, she's behind, she's shouting out to everybody who they are. And Paul reaches the boiling point, so to speak. He turns around and looks at her face to face. And he issues a command. And the command lets us know what the real problem is with this slave girl. It's not really her, but it's what is in her. And Paul says these words. They come out of his mouth. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Not a long sermon. Not three points and a song. Paul just looks at the woman, the slave girl, and says, come out, I command you, come out of her. Paul is the one giving the command. And the nature of the command, it's an order. It's something that the spirit in her must do. And Paul says, I command you. And when he says you, he's not necessarily talking about this slave girl. He's talking about what's in her. And he says, I command you. And we know that because he says, here's the command. Come out of her. She had been demon-possessed. She had a spirit of divination. And Paul says, I recognize I don't want anybody who has a spirit of divination proclaiming who I am and what the gospel message is all about. And so he's annoyed. He doesn't need her testimony. He doesn't need her witness. He doesn't need her publication of who he is and what they're doing. So he commands them, come out of her. Addresses not her external owners, her masters, but the internal owner. And says, come out of her. And he does that. He issues that command in the name of Jesus Christ. That's his authority. It's not something in him. The command is issued by the authority of Jesus Christ. And Luke wants the readers to know, he wants us to know, that Paul is associated with Jesus Christ, that he's a slave of the Most High God. His authority does not come from himself, but his authority comes from Jesus Christ. And the goal of the command, come out of her. And we read at the end of verse 18, it came out at that very moment. At that very moment that Paul issued the command, this slave girl was delivered. That's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. Luke doesn't tell us what happened to the slave girl. All we know is that the spirit of divination came out of her. And as a result of that, verse 19 tells us, her master saw that their hope of profit was gone. 
her masters. They're observing this. They're, they're seeing this. And they realize that this slave girl who was their property, who brought them much profit and much financial gain, she no longer has the ability. And so they're upset. And basically what they do is they call Paul and the missionaries on the carpet. Paul and particularly Silas ended up getting beaten, thrown into prison. And you read about it later on in this chapter. And an earthquake comes, their hands are in stocks there, but they're singing at midnight, Paul and Silas. They couldn't move, but they were singing together. And they were praying together, and God responded with an earthquake. And basically, all of the stocks off of their hands were broken off. The chains were removed. Philippian jailer comes in. He's got a mess on his hand because every prisoner is loose. And he's thinking that it's doomed for him. And Paul basically tells him to calm down. In the Philippian jailer, in the midst of all of that, God moves on his heart. And he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? Isn't it amazing the providence of God? How God uses Lydia, how he uses his slave girl, now he uses an earthquake. And this Philippian jailer sees all of this and understands that he needs to be saved. And he gets saved. His household gets saved. Eventually, Paul and the missionaries end up at the house of Lydia. But what happens to the slave girl? We're not told. Lydia, we know, got saved. The Philippian jailer, we know he got saved. But what happened to the slave girl? My Humble opinion that she got saved too. I don't have a chapter, verse, uh, no, to point you to. But I think the fact that Lydia got saved, the flipping jailer got saved, I think she probably got saved too. She didn't get saved at the moment that the spirit of divination was cast out of her. But probably due to the love and kindness of the Christians in Philippi, she gets saved and becomes a part of of the church at Philippi. So when we come to our text, Luke wants us to meet the fortune teller. He's introduced the fortune teller to us. But do you really know her? And like I said with Lydia, have you met the fortune teller? I said that about her last week. Have you met Lydia? Now, have you met the fortune teller? You have met the fortune teller if you understand the impact that sin has on mankind. When you look at this slave girl, sin shows itself differently. We saw in Mark 5 and Mark 9 that when someone was possessed by demons, It dehumanized that person. But that didn't happen in the case of this slave girl. She was functional. She was orderly. 
She was able to tell people their future. They would come to her and listen to her and pay money. Even though she had a spirit of divination in her. Sin won't always manifest itself the same way in the lives of people. There are some good, noble people. The last couple of days, I felt like I've been around some good people. But that doesn't mean that everything is right between them and God. Because sin can manifest itself in different ways. And sometimes sin causes people to dress themselves up. Causes them to look okay. Causes them even to do noble things. But it doesn't change the fact that they are dead in in their trespasses and sins. And that they're in the need of salvation. This slave girl. Many would have thought she's doing a good thing. She's giving people guidance concerning their life. Evidently some of the things that she was saying must have worked. Because other people were coming and paying money. But her spiritual condition was horrific regardless of how sin manifested itself in her life. So have you met the fortune teller? Have you learned that women are often prostituted by men? This is a story that is true of a slave girl having masters, and they didn't care about her person. They just cared that she could bring them money. And when she could no longer bring them money, they were through with her. They were upset. They were mad. They should have rejoiced that the spirit of divination had been cast out of her. But all they were thinking about was money in their pocket. And when we look around at our world, when we look around in our society, there are still men who are pimping and taking advantage of women. And many times the church says nothing at all. Sex trafficking is at an all-time high. Not just in Asia, right here in Inglewood in Los Angeles. And we have men who see these young, beautiful women as objects, as property that they can make money from. The abortion industry, billions upon billions of dollars being made, telling women you can do whatever you want with your body. You can kill that unborn baby. And and trust me, if there was no money involved, some of the messages would be totally different. And then we have unequal pay for women in the workforce. Individuals in high places saying that a woman's worth is not equal to a man's worth. When they're doing the same job, individuals taking advantage of women. And the church has some work to do. We can't just be silent and say nothing and say all we're concerned about is your soul. We don't care about anything else. So have you met the fortune teller? Have you learned that it... it, 
Your, your Christianity is not based upon the words that come out of your mouth. This slave girl uttered wonderful words. These men are the servant of the Most High God. These men are proclaiming the way of salvation. But yet she was dead in her trespasses and sins. She did not respond to the very words that were coming out of her mouth. If she really believed that they were proclaiming salvation, wouldn't she have turned to God for salvation? But she doesn't. And so don't get impressed just because people have religious language, because people can talk to talk. That doesn't determine who's a Christian. But last of all, have you met the fortune teller? Have you learned that doing good, have you learned that doing good to image bearers of God is a good thing? Have you learned the lesson from Paul's encounter with this slave girl that when you do good, that's a good thing? We don't know. We don't know if this woman got saved. But even if she didn't get saved, didn't Paul do good to her? Wasn't it a blessing to her to have a spirit, a demon, cast out of her? Don't we want to be about doing good to people, whether they're saved or unsaved? Some of you are teachers in the public school system. And you're teaching, representing Christ. You cannot open your mouth and declare openly, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, this and that. But you're doing good. And God has you there for a reason. To do good. There's nothing wrong with doing good to people who are unsaved. And when we do good, that could be the basis that God will use to cause us to be able to share the gospel with them. But that's in God's hands. We have this idea that we don't want to do good to people. All we want to do is save their souls. And yes, we know that ultimately that's what it's all about. But understand that God can use your doing good to those around you to be the basis where somebody comes the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But even if they don't, that will break our heart. But that shouldn't cause us to say, I'm not going to do good. Aren't you thankful that God lets his sun shine on the good and the evil? God didn't say, okay, unsaved people, no, you're not going to get any sunshine. You're not going to get any oxygen. I'm just going to let you die. No, God is good to mankind. And we want to do good as a church. We want to be instruments in God's hand to do good. And it could be those that we do good to will never, ever put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we should not have the attitude, I don't want to do good to them. 
Do good to all men, Paul says in Galatians 6, especially to the household of God. And so I hope you have met the fortune teller. I hope that you have learned the valuable lessons from her regarding the condition of mankind. Sin shows itself in so many different ways. Regarding the fact that there are wicked, evil individuals who are willing to take advantage of women in our society today. The church ought to be a champion for women's rights in a godly way. We shouldn't have to rely upon unsaved people to model what is taking place. That doesn't mean women get to do everything in the church or even in the home. But that doesn't mean that we don't see them as equal and valuable. Lydia was valuable. The church met in her home. In the testimony throughout Scripture, that there are women that God has used for his glory and honor. And so I have a high view of women. I believe women are to be valued because Scripture values them. And so we got to be very careful as we live this Christian life that we learn from individuals like Lydia, that we learn from individuals like this slave girl, that God wants us to do good to all. And maybe God will use that in our lives to bring individuals to a saving knowledge of Christ. So at your job, you might not see any connection at all with the Bible in the sense of you're not quoting scripture, you're not reading scripture. You, you, you don't have a job like mine where I get to come and study the Bible and, and, and teach the Bible, etc. Uh, you, you might be a post worker, you might be in the hospital, do good. People who are made in the image of God, do good to them. Do good to them. And we trust that the good that you do to them, that God will use it ultimately to cause a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these two women the purple seller, and the fortune teller. Thank you that Luke wants us to meet them, and we pray that we indeed have met them and that we've learned uh, from their lives. Thank you that in your word you have given us these examples that we can learn from. Help us to meditate and to think and reflect upon these two ladies. Help us to learn their lessons well. And help us just to be an instrument in your hands to do good. And ultimately, Father, we pray not only to do good, but that you would open up hearts where a person is able to respond to the gospel. That's our ultimate desire. But in the meantime, help us to continue to do good. Thank you for all of those who are doing good at their jobs, in their neighborhood, in their community. Thank you for the good that we have experienced at the hands of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you that you are good toward us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.